Welcome to World Cup Celtic, the Cynic podcast in which uh, Cynic picks his 23-man squad for the World Cup based on Celtic players. I am Christopher Gallagher and we are joined by the fantastic Barry Gallagher. Hello Barry, how are you my friend? I'm very well thanks, Um, feeling very nostalgic, Um, we tripped down memory lane and as you know um, World Cups and um, looking back at the past, uh, two of my favourite things, so can't wait to get started. If there's one thing Gallagher's love, it's nostalgia. I'm right there with yes. you. Um, this is episode two of the uh, World Cup Celtic. The first episode was was with our good friend Paul Carlin. That was a fantastic episode. Um, some really interesting memories from Paul. And again, this is something I think um, everyone has a connection to the World Cup in some way, or you know, even if they don't necessarily like it, they're still kind of high points, low points. Um so, let me talk you through the concept of the podcast. Each cynic is tasked with picking a World Cup squad to take into a fantasy tournament. The individual decided, in this case it's the wonderful Barry Gallagher, they div- they decide how they divide their team up and their resources. So, goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, strikers. Barry has chosen a 23-man squad, but he can take one goalkeeper if he wants. He can take, you know, seven strikers. It's entirely up to him and we'll, we'll talk through that. I actually didn't realise this until today, or so yesterday. The squad's been in, increased to twenty six for this World Cup. Um, it's always been twenty three. It's been increased to twenty six, but nah, we're not having that. Twenty three. Uh, so it's a twenty three man squad, uh, and uh, I'll tell you what your, I'll tell you what your your group, your all star group is a little bit later on. Uh, but Barry Gallagher, um, World Cups. What does, what does the World Cup mean to you? I think I think I've probably said on pods before, and uh, we've had this conversation um, off air as well, Gal. But I was a quite uh, I was quite late into um, sort of discovering and falling in love with football, and I think it was the summer of nineteen ninety four when um, the World Cup was in America, and just something about that tournament. I don't know if it was all the hype as you tend to get, but that was sort of my sort of awakening as a football fan. Um, I just loved everything about it. I always remember the, I think it was a BBC used the I Want to Be in America yep. tune. And since you've sent me this rundown, I've been singing that. Must have been driving Laura nuts. I've been <laughs> one up down the stairs singing I Want to Be in America. Um, and just everything about that tournament. Um, I know maybe some of the purists didn't think it was the best and um, the fact that it was given to America. But I think you can see the sort of knock-on effect that's had. Um, America have really embraced soccer, as they would call it, since. Um, but no, just going back to that, I just loved the games every single day, as I still do. Um, probably now, as I'm older, I'm not able to do it, but I used to have a thing, I don't know if you did this, did this Gal, where if I didn't see every single game of the tournament, 
I felt like a failure. <laughs> so I had to see every minute of every single game and God, I don't think I don't think you could pay me to do that now. Um there's just so many. Yeah. But I just loved the colour of it. Um the crowds seen different players. Um I think at that point as well, football wasn't as saturated as it is now. You discovered players at World Cups, um, and now you tend to know most players. Um but no, I just love everything about it. I'm not the biggest fan of international football, as you know, but I just love the spectacle and um, how the eyes of the world kind of everything stops um, for the sort of the biggest and best tournament in the world. Yeah, I I think for me, you know, when the 1990 World Cup, that's the first World Cup I I remember. um, And I remember watching the Scotland games and, you know, I was really kind of so kind of captivated by it. Captivated by the thing about what I like about international football and, you know, my love for international football is waning on a on a regular basis. It's getting lower and lower just because of, as you mentioned, Barry, saturation levels. But what I loved about the 1990 World Cup was I felt like it's the only, probably the only time I felt like we were all in it together. Like, as in, like, all my family and, like, all my classmates in primary school. And it felt like people walking down the road were always thinking about, oh, how is Scotland doing and all that. And obviously we didn't get out of the groups and that. But that was the first real time I felt like, oh, international football can kind of be like a, a community. Um, 1994, though, obviously Scotland didn't qualify, England didn't qualify. That's why I think it was so special. Because yeah. there was no England on the TV all the time. We're going to go to the England camp. We're going to go to the England camp. It was just like presented to you in a very, very different way. Um, obviously, Ireland being there, and we'll, 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 we'll touch on Ireland in a moment. But for, for me, it was very, very special because, you know, my mum's from Donegal and, you know, Gallagher's from Donegal. And, um, you know, I've never really had that big of a connection to the Irish national team. I've, I've always wanted them to win and all that, but it's never been like you know, a, a big kind of like, oh, if Ireland lose, I'm, I'm upset. But uh, my dad's a bit like that. My dad loves Scotland, but he loves Ireland as well. And um, yeah, I think he, he, when we were watching those games, th- let's jump to it. The game against Italy, you know, in, in New York, that whole city pretty much been split in two between the Italians and, and the Irish. And um, that's one of the big memories for you, isn't it? That is, yeah. Um and just sort of, I always remember it was the night before, so it had been the night before my, my ninth birthday. Um, oh, beautiful. And just, as I say, like, because obviously I, I'd grown up in all my family, um, as they still are, weren't massive Celtic fans, but it was just never something that I really get into. I don't know why. But I just remember being so excited for that game. My dad's always been um, a big Island fan. And when Ireland scored, it's the first time I've had that sort of feeling of euphoria, dancing around the room, etc. Um, and I often joke that I was an Ireland supporter before I was a Celtic fan, which was this is true. Um, so if anybody calls me a plastic paddy, I'll have you know I was <laughs> I was an Ireland fan first. But I, I just loved it. Um, as you say, I think it was just the perfect um, sort of like the melting pot, wasn't it? With the the big the two biggest communities um, meeting in New York and. Just um, uh, during lockdown, I watched a, a number of the World Cup films. Yes, um, and they're always great. I love, I love that. See that camera that's down, sort of almost at boot level on the the pitch, and you can almost hear like the, the strokes of the passes and stuff like that. Um, there was a good bit in the ninety the ninety four one about the the communities, and it showed you in the pubs before, and just that picture of the stadium packed out half and half, and I think tickets were like gold dust. Um, 
And then for Ireland to hold on, I remember um, Paul McGrath had a sensational performance at the back. And it's funny that Tommy Coyne started, didn't he? He started up front on his own, I'm sure, uh, for Ireland that day. And then Castle Milk's finest, Ray Houghton with the, with the strike. And then the, the roly-poly celebration. And I remember my dad came home, I think it was from the Brazen Head or something, um, probably later on that summer with a T-shirt for me that was, it would probably fit me now, it was that big. Um, and it said, how's that? And it was like, Ireland won Italy now, but it was how's, like as in Houghton. Yeah. And yeah, just I just loved it. Um, I remember I had, a couple of years later, I got the, the official, um, it wasn't an official film, but it was like the Ireland, uh, like the Ireland commemoration of that World Cup. And it was just a lot of behind the scenes footage and, singing on the bus and I think you see clips of it now, the, the players are on the bus uh, listening to the wolf tones and all that, just a different time and I just loved how that went and then having that euphoria as I said really whetted my appetite for the rest of the tournament and it was quite nice having a team to support um, whether I would have felt the same without Ireland, probably because as I say I just wanted every, wanted to hoover up every game I could but that was a really nice moment Um and sort of cemented my love. My love for the Irish national team sort of waned um, because, as I say, I'm not really too interested in international football, but I'll always remember that fondly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that tournament for people of our age and our vintage um, is really quite important for introducing us to a lot of different players. Uh, you know, Batistuta was there, Baggio, obviously, Georgie Hadji, Stoichkov, Henrik Larsson, um, you know, like so many unbelievable players. What, what, you know, other than, you know, watching Ireland, who else kind of really stood out for you personally? Um, I think Italy, um, there's always been some, some similar to yourself, there's always been something romantic about the Italian national team. As I'm, I'm wearing that sort of <laughs> my prized possession. I got the, got this during lockdown, um, and the official, uh, Diadora Italy sort of walkout jacket that they wore in the final. It's beautiful. Um, Baggio was great. Um, Hadji, I always remember that screamer that he scored the kind of cross-come shot. Yeah. Um, who was it for Belgium? Was it Enzo Schifo? Enzo Schifo, he, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And obviously Romario. Romario was phenomenal that tournament. There just seemed to be so many superstars and then obviously you had the moment with Maradona with the, the screaming against Greece where they ran up to the camera um, not really been old enough to know what was going on there, but thinking that man looks possessed. <laughs> yeah. Of a nine-year-old me could say that then, um, no wonder he was pulled for a, for a drugs test, but it just seemed to be a perfect time. Um, all the kits were crackers as well, the particularly Adidas ones. Um, and yeah, just so many players seemed to be in a pomp at that tournament. Players who had maybe burst onto the scene in 1990, but they were sort of in their prime in 94, and you say Batistuta, um, Baggio, Maradona for briefly in the tournament. Um, I remember Bulgaria had a good tournament, didn't they, as well, Stoichkov yeah. and Lechkov. Um, Diving header, superb. Yeah, and that wee sort of weird hairdo that he had. <laughs> um, Balakov as well, which yeah. is, I think it's funny, like how players, there's players who were still playing years later that played in that tournament, like Balikov ended up playing against Celtic, didn't he, for Stuttgart on the road to Seville. And, That's right, yeah. Um, so many, so many memorable moments. And obviously the, the Saudi Arabia goal that was goal of the tournament, wasn't it, where the guy just kept running and put it into the roof of the net. And there was something about the nets as well, weren't they? Like, because I think maybe because it was in America, it was, 
it looked different and see the way it was filmed as well. I always think you don't see it so much now because of uh, advances in um, film and technology, but there was a sort of glossiness about the um, the feed in America, yeah. even American TV programs, and I think that just added to it as well. So. No, so many happy memories um, for that tournament. Balderama as well as another. So the names, all the household names are there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the the funny you mentioned the net. Like, when they hit the net, they hit the net and they, like, dropped. It was, like, just... I, I love that that vision. And it, from an aesthetic point of view, it just... You, 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 you know, it's sandwiched between Italy and France, which are very familiar kind of stadiums to us, not even necessarily if we know the stadiums, just in terms of how they're laid out and how they looked. Whereas like America, USA 94, it was very American. It was just very, very different. So like from an aesthetic point of view, it's like the Rose Bowl. It's usually like an American football stadium. And it's like, this doesn't look like a, a football stadium at all. It just looks completely different. Townsend right in there. Houghton also making his presence felt. There's his shot. And Ray Houghton has made it one 0 First World Cup memory, ninety four. Favorite World Cup memory? Would it be the same World Cup, or is there anything else that kind of kind of shatters in your head? Um, I think it probably would. My favorite memory probably would be that um, the Ray Houghton one. But other ones that are sort of memorable were um, Ronaldo. Um, 2002 when they had the sort of it was against Turkey and he took the sort of toe poke shot early to yeah. beat Rusturikba and he had that celebration where he ran over like that and he had the wee sort of tuft of hair very similar to Letskov actually in the yeah. verse um, but I just loved Ronaldo um, and I think because of how well he'd done at France 98 and then obviously the, the sort of tragic um, incident that I'm still not quite sure what happened um, the night before the final it was great to see him back um, at his best. Um, a different, he sort of reinvented himself, didn't he, after the the injuries because he didn't have that explosive pace anymore. But still, what a finisher! That's one that stands out for me. Um, France uh, ninety eight. The other one was the Holland versus Argentina game, where Bergkamp pulls that one out of the sky and um, sort of outside of his foot into the top corner. That. At the velodrome as well. That game was just perfect. Um, a Dutch team really on it, um, and Argentina with all the sort of Ortega, Batistuta was still there. Um, so yeah, that's just a couple that, that stand out for me. What about yourself? Um, I'm allowed to ask. Yeah, of course, yeah. Or Ortega gets <laughs> Ortega gets sent off in that game, didn't he? For it was for, uh, it was a headbutt, but he jumped kind of up into weird. Sort chin, of, was it Bandersar? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Just weird sort of thingy. Um, from France 98, um, obviously Scotland playing against Brazil, which was, you know, really, really great. Um, outside of that, I think, I genuinely think Holland versus Brazil in the semi-finals is probably the best World Cup game I've ever seen. I think it finished, was it three each? Uh, and then it went, so. And then it went to penalties and one's called Ronald, one's called Frank. Um, we know the rest. Um, but it was just, you know, it was, you know, Ronaldo was peak of his powers um and uh, the, that dutch team were fantastic um and it really was a case of you know we went to a penalty shootout you know what more can you really want excitement wise just on that game 
spoilers, but a wee Easter egg teaser. One of the players who took a penalty on that uh, shootout is in my squad. Oh, yes. I, do you know, Barry, I was thinking about who... I've not even... I've been thinking about who... I want to be excited by your squad. I want to be... You know, I want it to be a surprise. So I've not really thought about who you'll pick, but of course you fucking... Of course you picked him. Come on. <laughs> um, I just want to quickly... Obviously, that, that that's the World Cup element to it. You know, the, the World Cup is, you know, magical in all the ways. Your mention of Maradona in his first World Cup. They didn't pick him in 78. He was sent off. Beautifully pulled down by Bergkamp! Oh, what a goal! Dennis Bergkamp has won it for Holland! That was absolutely brilliant! From adversity to triumph for the Ducks. From a Celtic point of view, do you have a favourite domestic cup? Is there a dim- one domestic cup final or tournament or something that kind of springs to mind for you and you- brings you good memories? Um, I think I didn't want to go down the sort of obvious route and pick like yeah, Tom Rogic because that speaks for itself, doesn't it? But I think that see the Martin O'Neill's first trophy, the, the League Cup um, against Kilmarnock when yeah. Larson, our favourite ever Larson goal for Celtic was in that game where he runs from the halfway line and sort of sells the dummy to Gordon Marshall and rounds him into the net. I remember it was almost, it almost felt like that goal felt like you were watching something in the World Cup. It's hard to explain, but see the the famous Maradona goal in 86 where he just keeps running uh, against England and rounds Peter Shelton. It felt like that. Like I always remember as he kept running, everyone was doing like getting the seats up, the seat was hitting the back, that noise that you don't often hear anymore. Yeah. And I think to, like cups that I'd seen Celtic won before, obviously the ninety five against Airdrie and the ninety seven um Coca Cola Cup when um Larson and Reaper and all that scored. That almost felt like that was a good cup win on itself, but I think because of how good we'd been under Martin O'Neill when we were well clear in the league it felt like something was building that that day and getting that first trophy. Um, you knew that that would not be the last. Um, whereas under Janssen, winning it, it, it went on to win the league, but we weren't that clear, so you weren't sure. But I think that day, knowing that this was going to be the first of many trophies for that group of players and that manager, so that's my sort of favourite cup memory because of that goal um, and also because of my love for Martin O'Neill and that was his first trophy. So that would be my sort of favourite domestic cup memory. For all that Kamara have had a lot of uh, possession going into that last third. Do you think they ever really scared that Celtic defence? Yeah, I was suspected before the game that that would be the problem. Arson goes away again. This could be the hat-trick coming up. It is. He did that beautifully eventually. All the length of the field, he didn't panic. As many a prayer would have stumbled or lost his conviction, leaving McGowan for dead, and then watch this little deception there before tucking it away. Well, if there's an element of luck, but his second goal there's certainly no element of luck there. He's run half the, the length of the pitch, an absolutely magnificent composure when he gets in there. Gordon Marshall 
has come out just at the right time to try and narrow the angle and force him into shooting. He just rolled his foot over the top of the ball, took it to his left and rolled into the empty net. A fitting goal for a cup final. Well, you know, we're talking about a player who already must uh, rank with the Celtic greats, including uh, Kenny Douglas, who used to score goals like that, as you probably know. And there he is, demonstrating the full power of his art in that long run and that magnificent finish. I love it as it's high up for me. I was in the stand there. I think I'm pretty sure my dad, I was there with my dad. I didn't get to many cup finals with my dad, but that was a, a really proud moment, uh, I guess. Um, Larson's finished absolutely sensational. Um, Favourite European group memory? Um, so I'm thinking, you know, that's the cup final group memory where you obviously World Cup, you're in groups. Any game or, I mean, obviously there's a Barcelona game, etc. Any, what's your thoughts? Mine would be the, the Leon game. Um, so 2000 and was that 2001 2002 season? Yeah. Uh, oh no, I think it'd be 02. Would it actually would it be two? Oh. Let me let me check for you. Um, but you you describe the game. I think it's 0304 actually because it was well, we're in the strip that we were in Seville. So 0304 and um, it was at that time where Liam Miller had burst onto the scene. God rest him. Um, and I just thought Celtic were so controlled that night because. I always remember Martin O'Neill saying that for us to get points or any points in the Champions League, we had to really punch above our weight and we had to be really on it. Whereas that game, we were great, but I think we were never really in any danger. And that was a really good Leon team. Um, I had the likes of Janino, um, uh, Coupe and goals, um, stuff like that. Ed Milson, Janino, Dorisu, Vincent Dorisu, Govu. Great player. I mean, yeah. you're talking about really Elber. You're talking about a so, really, really high-end team, you know? A mixture of the Brazilian national team and the French national team. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> and it was so controlled, and I remember both goals. Um, Larson having a massive say, like both crosses, weren't they, from him. And one of the goals, I can't remember if it was, I think it was the Liam Miller goal, where we had 30-odd passes, and people were going crazy when we did that against St. Johnson uh, under Rodgers. But this was against, as we just said, a, a, a really class uh, Leon outfit. And I always remember for Sutton's goal, I'm sure Sutton takes a throw in quickly, gives it to Larson or either way about, and Larson sort of floats across in and Sutton scores. And you can lip read Sutton running over to Larson saying, what a fucking ball. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, uh, I, I, so I just love that. It's the only time I've, massive shape bag, as you know, but it's the only time I've felt really comfortable in the Champions League. Um, and I just thought Celtic were sort of imperious that night and, Loved that kit. Larson had the Predator boots um, and really excited for Liam Miller um, because obviously he scored that season as well against Anderlecht and really thought that we were going to build a team around him but uh, never worked out that way and um, he went off to Man United. But yeah, just a, a brilliant performance and I often think that that Celtic team the season after Seville, um, obviously Bobo, sort of, Bobo and Hedman sort of conspired between them um, and the uh, the sort of return fixture in Leon that we could have gone through that night. Um, but I often think that's the best Celtic team I've seen in my lifetime, season-wise, that 0304 because obviously the disappointment of the season before with Seville, we were relentless to get our trophy back in the league. Um, and um, yeah, just a joy to watch that team. Uh, group A, we were in Group A 2003-2004 season. It was September. Um, 
listen to this. Leon on top with 10 points. Bayern Munich second with 9. Celtic with 7. Anderlecht with 7. Like, so close and so tight. And the thing about that, as you say, if, you know, the if we don't concede that final goal, uh, we go through. Yeah. And Sutton scored, didn't he? Sutton scored to make it two each, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I, I remember, remember. I, I, rem- I genuinely remember, um, I genuinely remember, I just remember seeing my dad watching the game just before Sutton scored. I said to him, We've been terrible. We've been this, we've been really, really poor. And then Sutton scored, and it's just like that team had this knack, like you say, this knack of just pulling something out. Um, and then Leon would go on to play Porto. So if we'd actually got through, we probably would have played Porto the next Oops. round. Um, and then Porto would go on to, to win it famously. But yeah, great memories, um, great stuff. Again, a gap that's very tight. Once again, find space with McNamara. Play down by Thompson. Great play. There's an excellent ball, and it's a goal. The young substitute has scored for Celtic. Well, that's what Liam Miller can do. It's fantastic play from Henrik Larson. He turns his defender wide here on the left. You want to see him inside the box. But look what he can create for you just outside it. Wonderful turn here. The cross is as good as anything you'll see. And Liam Miller getting into the box, arriving at exactly the right time. What a wonderful moment for him. Superb play by Henrik Larson. Well, I did say that uh, Liam Miller does come forward a lot intelligently and he showed it there well for a moment he could hardly believe it, now he does well he now becomes a tactical genius he yeah. just made the change five minutes ago and it's certainly worked in his favour so Celtic in the lead, deservedly defence has always been in defence there was the slightest touch though to Celtic Not to Larson Put a little opening and service and take it off. That does it. Chris Sutton. Beautiful play again by Larson. Well, Larson's showing again he's not just a goal scorer. That's the second one he's created. And he waits and waits for support. And the timing, you can see him there, Chris Sutton. What a ball. Larson just waiting for that support. Sutton was the man who tried to throw it. Driving into the box. Tremendous desire. Wonderful by this genius from Sweden. Look at the way he measures it, tempts a man in, and then that impeccable cross. No wonder he's uh, touching the roof with that. All over and done with as another substitution takes place. It's Maluda coming on. So, I have tasked Barry with picking a 23-man squad to take to this. It's called the All-Star World Cup. And it's actually, last time it was in Japan. This time it's actually in Rio de Janeiro. So, Barry, you're going to be managing this squad of players in Rio de Janeiro. Um, And, uh, yeah, 
I'm, I'll tell you who, who your squad, uh, your, your World Cup All-Star group is. You've been drawn in Group C with uh, the Bayern Munich All-Stars, Jesus. the Real Madrid All-Stars, and the River Plate All-Stars. So you've got the, the best of South America, you've got the best of uh, Latin Europe, uh, and you've got Bayern Munich, who are always just all-rounders. So... That's the all-star group you're in. You're in Group C, I said. Um, the 23-man squad, how have you broken it down? I don't want to hear names yet. How have nope. you broken it down? Goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, strikers. So I've got three goalkeepers. Okay. Let me just see. one. Seven defenders. Okay, okay. Um should I really written numbers beside them, <laughs> squad numbers? <laughs> um, and I'm counting in ones as well, which I always encourage children not to do. So two, four, six, eight. Uh, nine midfielders. Okay, okay. And four strikers. Four. Does that add up? Yeah, just... it does. Yes, yes, that's 23. Yes. yes, 23. Perfect. Now, Barry, do you have a formation in mind? Um, or actually, think... do, do you know what? That's what we'll do is when we, we think about these other teams or the other games, we can talk about formations then. How, yeah. how does that sound? That sounds good. Okay, doke. Right. Have you got, you've put your own parameters on this where you've only seen, to talk me through your parameters that you've added. I think they're good points. So when I first sort of sat down to jot down names, I thought it would be easy to go with the best of the best. So you would have Caesar in there and Jinky and... Um, Jimmy McGrory and all that for the goal scoring but I thought I want to make it players that I've actually seen so it's players in my lifetime um, so as I say I started going to Celtic games in 1994 so players who were playing from then up into the present day Beautiful, love uh, it And I haven't just gone for the best of the best so there's some I put in there maybe just for some anecdotes or maybe for some um, events that they are events that surrounded them at World Cups, um, just to sort of put some of that spice on it. So, um, yeah, so I still plenty of good players, but some players in there who maybe aren't the best, but I liked what they did at World Cups. Well, the fact of the matter is, you're over in Rio, you're there for a month, you're training with these guys, you need a bit of power, you need a bit of fun. Yes. So, it's good to have you know more than just great professionals because that could be quite boring. Okay, goalkeepers, talk me through your three goalkeepers. So uh, the first two are pretty obvious. So Arthur Boric and Fraser Foster. So two of the best goalkeepers um, I think we've ever had and just so happened to have been playing um, when we've been going to see them. And my third one is Paki Bonner. Of course it is. Of course yeah. it is. Uh, now, talk me through. talk me through why you picked those three players. So I think Arthur Boric... It was always a sort of Achilles heel goalkeepers. Um, straight from when I started going, um, it was sort of Bonner was coming to the end of his time. Gordon Marshall seemed to hang around like a bad smell. Um, even through the O'Neill times, um, it was Gould for most of the first season and then Douglas came in and they had their flaws as well. And then when Strachan came in, he got Boric on loan and I think straight from the off, you could tell that this guy had a presence. Um, a good communicator at the back. I think he would be good for morale over there as well for a month because he seemed uh, like a madman. He still does. And I just think 
from that period, maybe from the end of the first season under Strachan, so maybe 2006 to 2008, I would say he was in the top top five goalkeepers in Europe. I always remember um, the World Cup 2006 and the Euros 2008 where he was brilliant. I think Poland played Germany in one of the games and he just seemed to make save after save. I think they ended up losing, but he was brilliant. And I thought teams like Bayern and all that would be coming in for him because he was that good. Then obviously... As well, he had the big moment against Manchester United in the Champions League, saving the penalty. And I felt so confident when you faced a penalty with Boric and Nets. Um, is, just, that the, is that the most confident you've ever felt with a goalkeeper? Um, that's probably reserved for the other fella, um, <laughs> Foster. But it's very, very close. Um, I think if, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think between the two of them, they're, they're sort of... It must be almost one and two that they were saving. Um, I think Foster had almost fifty percent. Um, and then I, I always thought that no, we couldn't do any better than Boric. And then almost immediately, well, not immediately, because I think Foster took time to sort of ease his way into being a Celtic player. Um, he had so many loan spells before we made it permanent, and then another loan spell after that. But probably in terms of a short stopper. Foster would be ahead of Boric, but I think all round goalkeeping. I think Foster, uh, Boric was better uh, distribution, um, better communicator, better coming for a cross. But two exceptional goalkeepers, Foster. Even when he came back, he maybe there was doubts, wasn't there, because he had the bad injuries. Um, but that performance against Lazio home and away, I always remember the game at home with that we'd taken the lead, and then there was that sort of pile driver, wasn't there, in the last minute. And he had the strength to push that over. And then obviously the, the cup final against Rangers where he was probably the best goalkeeping performance for Celtic I've ever seen. I was just about to ask that. Is that the best goalkeeping performance you've ever seen? I think so. Um, because it was horrible at the game because we never really turned up that day. Um, but he was a man on a mission and it seemed like nothing would get past him. And I loved... I loved his celebration at the end. He just sort of ran into the Celtic fans and did a kind of a weird slide. Slide, it, wasn't even a slide. it was kind of a slide as if he was going down a shoot. Um, and obviously he sort of soured it the way he left. Because um, I was so sure that he was going to sign. Um, but in terms of performances, um, the two of them you'd be hard pushed to, to better, I think, um, with the parameters I put on for picking the squad. Um, Arthur Boric... 05, 06 to 09, 010, 221 games. Uh, Fraser Foster, uh, 10, 11 to uh, 14, 15. And then obviously he came back um, just what, the two seasons ago. Played 197, game, 197 times in his first spell and 39 times in his second spell. Um, so that's what, 236 games. So they, they not far off the same amount of games um, overall. Packy Bonner. 483 games for Celtic, 1978 to 1997. Um, we never really saw Pat Bonner any sort of level where he was good. <laughs> <I don't laughs> no, no, I mean he was he was phenomenally good for Ireland. I mean yeah. he, he was in, incredible for Ireland. But for, for from a Celtic point of view, you know we always talk about um, the reason that the. Uh, five second rule or pass back so the pass, pass back. back rule is apparently one of the kind of case studies they did to make it so that goalkeepers couldn't pick the ball up when they passed it back was ireland versus egypt where paddy bonner had the ball for something like 32 minutes 
wow. in his hands. <laughs> like, because they kept passing it back to him and he'd pick it up, roll it back out, they'd pass it back and he'd pick it up. Um, why did you pick Bonner? Is Bonner just the, the guy, you know, your third choice goalkeeper is probably never going to get an opportunity. He's experienced, he's got, you know, he's he, he's been there, he's done it, he can pass it on. Is that your thinking? Yeah, definitely. I think when I think of Ireland at World Cups and even although it was before my time, the, the, the 1990 World Cup where um, he saved the penalty um, against Romania, Tim Ofte. I always remember the commentary from that. And, yeah. um, he's kind of weird celebration when he jumps with both hands in the air. And I was actually talking about this sort of story with Alan uh, the other day when we come back from Livingston that in the 1990 World Cup, the Ireland squad went to meet the Pope at the Vatican. And um, uh, Pope John Paul II had told him that he was a goalkeeper growing up. Um, and then obviously Ireland played Italy a few days later um, and Bonner wasn't the best for Baggio's goal, I'm sure it was. I think it was Baggio's, it was done with only. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Baggio. Uh, and everybody was gutted in the dressing room after the game. And I think Bonner went in for a shower and Andy Townsend told the story that Big Jack Charlton said uh, the Pope would have fucking saved that. <laughs> 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 so... <laughs> Uh, I just always loved that story. Um, and then moving forward to the 94 World Cup, um, Bonner and that sort of, the sort of famous, um, Love it was top. like the squares, wasn't it? The yeah. Adidas goalkeeper top. And then again, he made the mistake against Holland where Bim Yonk kind of shot from 30 yards and it went right through uh, Bonner. Um, but I think just Donegal man, um, again, I think the idea of Bonner was always better than the reality. Um, and just on that passback thing you were saying, I remember because obviously, as I said, I was late to my football and uh, journey. Eight, nine year old when I started, and I remember uh, my dad dug out old videos, and I was remember watching a League Cup final against Rangers. I think it was a game where Nicholas scored too. But there's a few times in that where Celtic passed the ball back and Bonner picks it up, and I'm like, "What the fuck <laughs> is going on here?" Because I didn't know about the rule change. I was like, yeah. "Jesus!" Um, so watching that. A video was probably 15 years before, um, or more than that, nearly 20. Um, I was worried that we were going to get done for it for the pass back against Rangers in the cup final, but no, I just think, as you say, there's not much that he's going to much chance he's going to play, but the experience he had at World Cups, um, and um, he's got that nice soft voice, doesn't he? Alan oh, and I were joking, we'd like him to tell us a story. Um, oh, aye. ASMR, yeah. But he never knows the player's name, does he? Is that big boy, that big number 23 on the left wing? <laughs> it's like, do your research. <laughs> come, on, come on, big man. Um, okay, so Bonner's very much your number three, which you always need. You know, always need that kind of you know that cheerleader almost within the, the goalkeeping fraternity to kind of boost the other two up. Who's your number one? I think just purely because of his experience at international tournaments, it's Arthur Boric. Now, Louis Sahar. After that disputed penalty, Sahar, who could have equalised for United. Just minutes ago, he thought he was offside, but in the event, should have played to the whistle. It's Saha against Boris, who saves it! Arthur Boris! And Celtic Park goes wild again! Excellent. So, Arthur Boric, number one, Fraser Foster backup, and uh, Pat Bonner uh, in third. Um, I think that's a phenomenal set of goalkeepers for for everything you've described. Uh, I don't think I would be too different. Um, I don't think most people would be too different. I think the goalkeepers is probably the one where you would 
I think it's probably the easiest. It's between those two. Um, and yeah. obviously the other guy, he's not getting a chance. Um, Gordon. Yeah. Aye, the ones that missed out, Gordon, Joe Hart, um, Stuart Kerr. Sanchez Broto. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Douglas. Uh, yeah, aye. Um, I think, as you say, the first two were stick-ons and then it was take your pick from about 20 for number three because unless there's a... A, a tragedy then you're, you're hoping that your third, goal, third choice goalkeeper is going to be nowhere near it exactly great stuff so that's the goalkeepers Arthur Boric Fraser Foster Pat Bonner defenders talk me through your first defender so this is someone who did play and score at World Cup um, I think we're maybe robbed of seeing more of him but I've gone for Mark Reaper Mark Reaper oh beautiful what World Cup did he score at uh, I'm sure he scored at France 98. France 98. For those uninitiated, don't necessarily know a lot about Mark Reaper. Talk me through him as a player. Tell me why you picked him. Um, it's sort of the the age-old thing. Um, Celtic not being able to defend. And I know we get a lot of criticism for that now, but it used to be so much worse. Um, yep. It's particularly in the 90s, because we had so much attack and flair that we'll come on to um, players from that era. But we always seemed to have a weak central defence and um, a weak goalkeeper, um, ironically. But I remember Alan Stubbs had come in the summer um, of 96 and he wasn't, he hadn't performed well at all, um, really. I don't think that's fair, unfair to say that. Yeah. And we had brought on a whole raft of signings that summer, but the season had actually started, I'm sure, before we got Reaper in. And Reaper was a player that, Everyone knew, I think. He was a household name, pretty yep. much, because of what he'd done at West Ham. And I remember that kind of rumbled on, and I thought, there's no chance we are going to get him, because he was handling strikers like Shearer with relative ease, I thought, um, whenever you saw him for West Ham. And then we were able to get him. And he was just such a cool head at the back. Um, a really classy defender, and he complimented Stubbs um, really well. He brought Stubbs onto a game. Um and it's often kind of thought that Stubbs was the one who sort of sprayed the passes and stuff like that. But I th- in my memory, um, Reaper could do that as well. Reaper could step in and um, a really cultured centre centre half. And it's the kind of player now, I know it's sort of twee to say that, but I think he's the kind of player now that if Celtic were to get him from the Premiership, you'd be talking 20-odd million, I think, <sighs> because, at least, because he was that good. Um, really good in the air, as I say, a good tacker on the ground. And he could play a bit as well. And as I say, the it was a real sort of stalwart for Denmark in European tournaments. Um, and I just loved him. Um, he's a player that we probably had for a season and not even a season and a half because of the injuries um, going into 98-99. But what a season he had. And he'll always have a place in kind of the hearts of the Celtic fans who remember that season because without him, I don't think we would have stopped the 10. He got an injury in October 1998 and he never recovered from it Um, and he retired in July 2000 and I remember hearing Martin O'Neill talking about how keen he was to try and get Mark Reaper up and running as it were Um, but obviously it never quite happened. Um, Mark Reaper is a fundamental centre half for me. I think he's just like one of those guys that, when I think of a, what a classy centre half is, I think Mark Reaper. Um, he was the Celtic assistant assistant manager when John Barnes got sacked. He was brought into the coaching staff. 
Could have told you that. Yeah. I didn't know that either, um, which is very, very interesting. I th- that would have been for, what, two months, I guess, with yeah. Kenny Douglas. Um, so he, he did a bit of coaching there. Um, played 37 games for Celtic, scored two goals. Uh, just a, a behemoth, a monster. I absolutely adored him. I think he's a fantastic pick. I can't agree more with it. Tell me some more defenders. So... Almost a sort of similar profile um, in terms of international um, sort of honours and um, sort of stature. I've gone for Johan Mialbe. Oh, my goodness. And I'm actually looking at my list thinking I don't know how I'm going to, uh, who's going to fit into the teams, but I'm sure we'll manage. Um, so, yeah, Mialbe initially signed as a, a midfielder, didn't he? And he, he, I think he signed on a Friday and then he made his debut on a Saturday and it was a 5-1 game. That's right, yeah. Um, and I remember there's a tackle early on in that game again on Alberts, I'm sure it is. And it was, again, it was often labelled at Celtic that we didn't have that sort of nasty streak in us. And it's often said now, you could argue that the current team doesn't really have that nasty streak in them. But I remember when Mialbe um, went smashing into Alberts, and well, this feels different, but it feels great. Um, because for so long, we'd been the team who would play the great football and we'd be bullied. Now it was as if, We've got a real guy in the team who's not going to let us be bullied and off to a flyer. And then it wasn't... The signs there were good for him. Um, uh, obviously, he didn't really take off as well um, until Martin O'Neill came, but the signs had the sort of building blocks and I think Martin O'Neill just kind of fine-tuned it a wee bit and made him a, a top-class centre-half. Um, he knew his limitations, I think, Mialbe. He never pretended to be anything that he wasn't. Um I think when he sort of formed that partnership with Baldi and Bolharan, he was more than happy to sort of win the ball and let Bolharan have the have the ball to to sort of play out from. So no, a real warrior. Um, I think warriors the sort of word that describes him for me because he would put his head in anywhere. I remember there was, I think Rangers had spent the big money on Toronji Flo. Um, I remember a game I but I think it was a three 0 game um, where Larson scored his fiftieth. Flo went to th- attempted to take like a sort of bicycle kick type shot and he Mialbe like sort of headed his foot and Flo was running about uh, rolling about and I just thought like he's not the one who's taking it in the head and Mialbe just got up and kept sort of laughed at him so I think that summed the man up and he did it on the biggest stage for us um, but yeah and even now he still looks like he could play um, he's in great shape and uh, always like listening to him and he's on BT and stuff like that so no I think he had to be in there I'd say Mialbe would be in my top five favourite Celtic players ever. Really, really high up. I absolutely adored them. Um, 171 games for Celtic, 14 goals. Um, one of my memories of them is England played Sweden uh, in, in, I think, like the September. And do you, I don't know if we signed them or we were on the verge of signing them. We were certainly linked with them. And he scored that goal. And I remember being like, that's the guy we were signing. That's the guy. Uh, and he played in midfield against that in, in that game. Um Again, Mialbi and Mark Reaper, a lot of similar qualities, um, a lot of kind of similar attributes. I think Mialbi, I think you're 100% right in regards to he knew his limitations, he knew when to kind of press, when to drop, when to, you know, understand who he was up against, always great physically, always dominant, um, absolutely fantastic. One of Celtic's best centre-halves, dare I say ever um, absolutely love him so excellent choice excellent yep 
So, as you say, I, I think there are similarities between the Albion Reaper, um, not just because of where they come from and that area of the world, but just how the, the stature and the respect that they commanded in their national teams. And just on that goal against England, I can still see that vividly. He puts his head in where it hurts, where it hurts to score, doesn't it? And that yep. just summed up what it was like. He was sort of fearless and the type of character that you would need in the in the trenches, as it were, at a World Cup. Exactly. And these guys, you know, they, they've got the international experience. I think that's really important because um, we're going to be in Rio for, as I say, quite a while. And we need guys to kind of, you know, cool keep cool heads when cool heads are, are required. Who's your next uh, defender? So I've got two more centre-halves and then the rest would be wing-backs, full-backs. So I'm going to go to someone who went to an international tournament and you could argue when he came back he was never the same. It's Bobo Baldi. Um, remember he went to the African Cup of Nations and I don't know if he sort of contracted some sort of form of malaria, didn't he? And he then did. he came back and he wasn't the same. But I loved him. He's one of two players who I got their name on the back of the hoops growing up. Um, just... Everything about him. Um, he kind of signed under a cloud, didn't he? Because remember, he kind of protracted, and then I'm pretty sure he might have got booed in his unveiling, which was mental. Um, a preseason friendly against Sunderland, just because of a few things he'd said or whatever. But pretty much from the get go, um, I thought he was brilliant. I think his debut was against Dunfermline, and he played a sort of defence, what Bobo wasn't sort of renowned for, but a defence splitting pass that went straight to Lobo, who kind of finished on the volley. Um, and I just loved his sort of aggressive um, attitude to defending and you could often see it's sort of folklore now, folklore now isn't it but defenders would look and wait for him coming and they wouldn't fancy it uh, sorry attackers and one of the, the best sort of duels I've ever seen um, I know what you're going to say yeah, John Carew against Valencia um, and I think the respect they had after the game you could see it was all was there for all to see because the two of them really went at it that night, hammer and tongs, didn't they? And Bobo, Bobo on his day was just brilliant, but obviously there was times where he had his flaws. Another great performance, um, I was lucky enough, I went to Vigo, um, the away game, when we went through there, and I think Bobo was, although we lost on the night, the final minutes, I just remember him clearing everything, um, whether it be with his head, left foot, right foot, um, up against Benny McCarthy that night and it was brilliant um, and obviously the big downfall was he's sending off in Seville but um, I don't think we would have got to the final without Bobo in there um, and I still argue that his first yellow card was a bit harsh <laughs> um, but no I loved him, uh, goals against Rangers as well um, and I think having guys like me, Albie Reaper and the other centre half that will come on to I think the would be good for Bobo um, because, as I say, if he can just do the defending and let the other guys sort of mop up around him, um, I think he'd be invaluable um, and going to the World Cup. 233 appearances for Celtic, um, 16 goals, um, 6 foot 5 inches, which is incredibly tall. Uh, he was as He was as wide, as, as broad as he was tall. He was physically dominating um over uh, over about 5 yards he was fast as as anything um i'd say the, the only thing with baldy is that you know he was so consistent for so long and then he kind of dropped off a cliff 
it was very much a case of really, really high performances consistently. And don't get me wrong, there was there was gaffes there, but there will be gaffes with all kind of centre-halves. But with Baldy, it was really, really strong, really, really powerful. And then it was just like, oh, you know, lose, you lose that one yard of pace. You're maybe not as sharp as you once were. But I, I, w- I would argue, again, one of the... One of the great Celtic centre halves. They don't. They re- They broke the mould when they made Bobo Baldy. Um, came in two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Left two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, which is wild, isn't it? Sort of like three versions of Bobo, isn't there? Because you forget that he was there. The he came in really late to that season, where um, we won the league at Tannadice and stuff like that. So yeah, crazy. And just as you said. He's, he's sort of building physique. I remember the, it was either the I think it was probably the Juventus game in Turin where we lost three two with the the dodgy penalty. Yeah, and I think him and Turam swapped shirts, and Turam looked like a wee boy next to Bobo. It was mental. <laughs> yeah, um, just for the six pack and everything. I always remember thinking Turam when you see him's one of the best right backs centre half or if you wanted to play him in the world and he always looked so physically imposing and then he was nothing compared to, to Bobo Yeah, Bobo obviously got a, a big bumper contract when you know, the bank of Bobo decided, you know, <laughs> there's plenty of teams after it after him, but yeah Baldy, uh, a no brainer for me who's your fourth centre back? So my fourth one is um, you could argue just now, I know he's not had the best of starts to this season. He's currently one of the best centre halves in the world, Virgil van Dijk. Um, and I know I've kind of got a bone of contention because I know a lot of people in the cynic um, sort of contributors will say he wasn't at his best for Celtic, but I think he was a very, very good player for Celtic. Um, and I think I mentioned this on the Chronicles last week, but I had a, my old boss before he was a teacher, was a Rangers fan. And I made two bets with him. One that I mentioned on the Chronicles never happened that Gary Hooper would play for England in a major tournament. And the other was that Virgil would win the Champions League. Um, and I'm so gutted that I wasn't in contact with him when he won it for Liverpool. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that would be worth a bit of grand, um, at least. But I loved Virgil. And I think maybe up until the Rodgers team, um, with likes of Dembele and Edward, I think I was obsessed with Virgil. He was... I think it's fair to say he was my favourite player since Larson. I just thought, although wow. Celtic weren't particularly great, I just loved everything about him. I loved how he could pass the ball. I loved how he could take free kicks. Um, something that he hasn't done for Liverpool, um, which I find surprising because he was so good. I think of the one at Hibs at Easter Road and there was one at Dens Park as well. And I think I can see where some of the things are coming from because I don't think he had to be on it 100%. Um, when he played for us because obviously Rangers weren't in the league and um, the quality of opposition that he was facing up here wasn't um, the sort of test that he would give himself in the Premiership and in Europe but uh, I think it was it was obvious that he was destined for the very the very top um, he had a shaky start when he first came in the Karagandi away game but after that he just kind of um, went from strength to strength and he was the first centre-half I can remember at Celtic who was a genuine ball-playing. Like he was, without doubt, the most gifted player we had at that time in any position. Um, I was at the game at, Den- uh, at McDermott Park in Boxing Day where he ran from his own box and just yep. kind of pushed people out of the way and sort of toe-poked it into the corner. And I just loved him. Um, I think he had a really good partnership with Denier. And I remember there was some crazy talk at that time that Denier was better than him. <laughs> Not for me. Um 
And yeah, and I love how he always speaks fondly of Celtic. So even now when they say as Liverpool fans the best in the world and he says with Celtic um, and he doesn't have to do that. And so many of our players in recent times who have gone to the Premiership are happy to run the league down and say, oh, I don't have to concentrate. I think it was clear that Virgil didn't have to do that, but he's never once talked down the Scottish game or Celtic. And um, he's always happy. I remember when Brown retired or went to Aberdeen, he did a video and um, Brown did one for him, etc. And I think he still remembers his time at Celtic very fondly. 115 games, uh, 15 goals. Um, I don't really think we have to say much more about Virgil van Dijk, um, what he's done, uh, what he did. Um, yeah, I mean, again, a, a very, very good choice. All about to begin the 52nd League Cup final, the Coca-Cola Cup final. Celtic against Dundee United. Andy Tom and Henrik Larsson get the match started. Eyes will be fixed early on. But firstly, how Celtic are playing and how Dundee United plan to respond. A touch for Stephen Presley, who immediately sends it back to Sieb Dijkstra. There's Mai. Blinker. Teasing Skoldmark, trying to get in behind. It's a good ball in. Here's Larson. For Vigorst. Struck it well. Straight up Dijkstra, but the first chance of the match goes Celtic's way. Final ball, not as good as Reggie Blinker would have wanted. Mahé on the right foot, away from Presley again. Straight at Vikorst. Now Makumara. Andy Tom in the wide position. With Pedersen and Perry are in front of them, so forced to turn it back. Early gets it from Vikorst. Celtic content to keep the ball. Waiting for the opening to be the right one. Nice touch from Larson. Blinker tackled by Easton. Henrik Larson has it again. Larson through and Dijkstra saves well. Good skill that from Larson, but good goalkeeping, good anticipation from Dijkstra. Here's Craig Burley. Always keen to put his foot on the ball and spread the play. Namara with Andy Tom making a run up ahead. Tackled by Perry in from behind. Free kick. Vikorst is there as well. There is Morton Vikorst. Kept in by Stubbs. Or so he thought. Here's Olofsson, a typical bursting run from him, but that was a beautifully timed tackle by Alan Stubbs. Olofsson was moving at some speed, and the tackle had to be right. Martin Vikors getting the break of the ball, looking for a return from Henrik Larsson, but he was taken out. Mark Reaper up in the box alongside Henrik Larsson, Reggie Blinker just outside the area. Andy Tom is over the ball. Away from Zetterland. Mahita Blinker. Good work by Winters. Closing down Blinker. Blinker again teasing. 
Mahé is behind him. First time in. Was Malpass first there? McNamara doing the chasing. There's Tom. Vicors making a run. It's a good run too. He's got some time to have a look here. so nearly didn't play in this match because of a calf injury but there he was popping up in the attacking position and when this ball was flighted in from Vikors Reaper was always the favourite and his header left Sieb Dijkstra a spectator and what an important goal that could prove to be that's your four centre-halves um, I'm guessing the rest are fullbacks. yes um, so I've gone for Didier Regat um, the 50 grand signing. I think when he signed for us, he played up front for Hibs, didn't he? And then O'Neill sort of made him a right wing back. And then when the sort of that 3 5 2 formation maybe ran its course, or we were getting sort of punished with Rangers pace when they played three up front, we switched to a back four and I got um, converted to a right back. And I think. His pace obviously was blistering. Still the fastest player I think I've ever seen at Celtic. Um, but he became a very good defender. Um, he matched up pretty well to Ronaldinho, who at that time was the best player in the world, playing on, coming off the left for Barcelona. Um, I always remember in the new camp, like he, Ronaldinho did a trick, and he looked like away. He was away, and then a guy appeared and kind of nipped the ball off him and. I think Ronaldinho kind of looks physically shocked because not many players could do that to him um, when he was at full pelt. Um, and I remember he was always the sort of master of that sliding tackle, wasn't he? Like <laughs> yeah. He would stick out his leg and you could see it coming, but it seemed to work more times than not. So, yeah, probably not the most gifted technically. Um, I remember Paul Lambert sort of having to talk him through games, um, games, um, telling him when to run and stuff like that. But no, I think he, it would be... It would be remiss of me to leave him out because of that pace and how well he did for that Celtic team at the highest level in the Champions League. I always think of the 3-2 game in Juventus where he was absolutely incredible. Um, just He'd only been at Celtic for a couple of months and you know then he's playing at the Delhi Alpi and, uh, against against Juve. Um, I also also think about... No, he was, uh, 2000, why? But um, I also always, always think about the Stuttgart game Oh, unreal. Where he just, they could not handle him. His pace, he just kept getting in behind. And two of the goals are kind of set up from, from him crossing the ball in. Um, pace in abundance. Uh, technical ability, as you say, not so much. Um, decision making, questionable. But <laughs> on his day, I think he, genuinely one of the the most exciting players to watch. Like, Agat was just really, really exciting. And I I, I adored watching Didier Agat. So again, you know, just a really smart pick. Who's your next one? Um, I've gone for Kieran Tierney. Um, I've just seen that. So he just scored for Arsenal tonight. But um, I think his sort of, we all know, it goes without saying how well he did for Celtic and, um, I think he's a bit of a character as well, so I think it'd be good for morale around the, the dressing room at a World Cup. And yeah, just someone who sort of 
almost to his own detriment, ran himself into the ground for Celtic. And I think I was like Louis, I kind of spat the dummy when he left because um, the whole megaphone stuff and all that. I thought like he's one of us, but you can see, um, you can see his reasons. Maybe um, I say he's too gritted teeth, <laughs> three and a half years later or whatever. But no, I think in terms of left backs, um, he's the best that, that I've seen at Celtic. So um, it's a no brainer really that he's in there. Um, yeah, you are, st- you are saying it through Kitty. I can even see now you're <laughs> like, mm, is this the right decision? Uh, 170 games for Celtic. I got played 183 games for Celtic. Uh, Tierney played 170. I'd- I thought that a gap would have played a lot more, weirdly. That's weird, yeah. Hey. I thought there would have been a big big difference, but um, 170 games for, for, for Tierney at Celtic. Um, I think he's probably the best left back we've, we've had in contemporary times, certainly. Um, athletic, dynamic. The modern fullback, I guess, the modern wing back, and when he plays for Scotland, the modern centre half. So he's, he's, he's got everything, and I can imagine him getting that letter from from the Celtic FA. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's you know I've called you up, and it's get the Barry Gallagher signature, and just before it, this, you sign it, don't let me down, son. And I can imagine he would hold that letter with with joy and then he'd take it to Arteta and Arteta would go what the fuck are you talking about there's World Cup what football world <laughs> club World Cup what are you talking about um, so again Keon Tierney is someone I don't think we you know he's we don't have to necessarily spend too much time talking about because he's he's still you know doing so well at Arsenal or, or you know at middling at Arsenal I guess you could say but a contemporary quality fo- footballer um, excellent uh, who's next um, so this I is your last one. Was, Sorry, one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six. This is your last one. Yeah. Yeah. So I was worried maybe it'd be a wee bit top heavy with centre halves, and obviously I've got a right back, a right wing back, and a left back, left wing back. So someone who could fill in all three of these positions. Um, oh, yes. Here he is. Here he is. Say his name. Say his Jackie name. Ah, there you go. Yeah. So someone who I really loved. Um, I remember when he when he first signed, kind of taking over from Rudy Vata, a uh, right back, and. Um, when his first game for Celtic at Ibrox, he, he was brilliant. Um, he had he was a really sort of tough character as well. I love that picture. Um, of him sticking one on Hately. Um, in, in that game. Um, and he sort of reinvented himself because, um, when Jansen came in, he sort of he had that really good relationship with Simon Donnelly on the right hand side. Uh, Jansen used him a wee bit further forward than he was used to. Um, then under Barnes, he kind of fell out of favour for a wee bit. Um, and then even under O'Neill, I think he had a lot of convincing to do for Martin O'Neill initially. Um, but his quality shone through and he ended up becoming um, the captain. And some of his best performances for Celtic were actually that sort of left of a back three, which was weird because he was right-footed. But just someone who was so versatile. Um, he even played in midfield for Celtic and... Um, yeah, just a, a really good pickup from Dunfermline in the mid nineties, and went on to win so many honours for Celtic. So I think his experience would be invaluable. And um, I always liked Jackie, and uh, even when he was at Dundee United, and I know we had those sort of ding dongs, didn't we? By the time we played him four games in a row, and yeah. he came across not very well. But I suppose he was always doing the best for his team at that time. But I don't think there's any doubt in how much he loves the club, even now. Um, He's got a good bit of patter about him as well, um, telling the story about Douglas getting sent off against Barcelona and all that. Uh, so, no, Jackie Jackie had to be in there. See, you know, I described uh, Kieran Tierney as like the modern fullback. That was McNamara of his day. You know, yeah. I, I remember his performance against Liverpool 
Europa, UEFA Cup was scintillating. And obviously he scores with like the deflected goal, whatever, but he really was the modern day fullback of the time. Um, I think 358 games for Celtic. Um, as you say, left back, right back, left wing back, uh, left part, left part of a back three. Again, it's like I'm describing uh, Kieran Tierney. Uh, <laughs> played in central midfield as well. Captain Celtic. Um, a, a real, still probably underrated. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, just uh, I, yeah, I, you. Could, I don't think you could do this without having McNamara in it myself. I think just on that game you mentioned Liverpool, he was very much. You could have seen him playing for that Liverpool team, that yeah. sort of swashbuckling team um, of Phil Jones and then latterly Lee when he came in and the sort of the Spice Boys, uh, as they were called. You can imagine McNamara fitting in with that because he was had that sort of Spice Boy look about him back then, didn't he? And just that attacking at all costs. I think he'd have been a player that could have played for them, but thank God he never because he was very good for us. My. Again, they try and pick out Donnelly. Bit of a shove there by Matteo as he tries to get to the ball. That's headed back by Stubbs to McNamara. He takes on Bjornevi. Good play, and Burley gives it back to McNamara. Yeah, absolutely love Jackie McNamara. Um, any, I mean, there are a couple of omissions that I would bring up, but I want you to kind of, who, who was close to the squad but didn't quite make it? Um, I mentioned him earlier of O'Haran because of what he did in that sort of first 18 months or so at Celtic. Tom Boyd's another one. That's um, the one. That's the one I would say, Barry, what are you doing? Come on. Yeah. Um, I know. I just think, again, I say I'm not the, the biggest of... Scotland fans, but I remember that OG um, against Brazil in the game you mentioned, and he seemed to score quite a lot of OGs for us and for Scotland. Yeah, um, but I absolutely loved the guy, um, and obviously when he had the jester hat on when we stopped the ten and starting the singing, so he was probably the closest um, to making it. Um, other notable names, maybe Christopher Ayer for um, the sort of modern um, sort of taking the ball out of defence, but I think Virgil. Roger can more than do that, Reaper, as I said. Um, but yeah, the, the sort of one name would be would be Tom Boyd. Good. I'm glad you mentioned him. That's great. Um, Mark Reaper, Johan Mialbi, Boba Baldy, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Didier Gat, Kieran Tierney, Jackie McNamara. A really balanced team and good cover as well. Uh, midfielders, talk me through your midfielders. Uh, you've got nine of these bad boys, so let's do two in a row. Let's do two at a time. So who's your first two? I think you'll, two of you are, I was going to kind of leave these to last, but we'll get straight into it. Two of you are heroes. Um, so I've gone for the maestro. Um, I couldn't not have him in there. I know that when I started going, so 94, we retired 97. So I had maybe two 
two good years of him. Um, I particularly remember the season, um, it was the first season back at Celtic Park, where towards the end of that season, he, he scored two screamers, one against Hearts, one against Hibs. Yeah. Um, and I remember the the game, I think it was your first Derby game. Um, it was the first time I saw Celtic win as well when we beat them 2-0. Yes. McStay was unbelievable that night. Um, and I, I heard my dad's and uncle saying that that performance that night was as good as anything that he'd done as a youngster. Um, and yeah, he was just so controlled um, and he didn't look out of place next to the sort of the foreign um, attacking flair that we had. Um, he was every bit as good as them. So Paul McStay, um, in case anyone doesn't know who the maestro is. <laughs> Beautiful. And yeah, and obviously his experience at World Cups for Scotland and um, the Euros as well. And also Paul Lambert. Um, so I think with those two, a wealth of experience, brilliant players um, for Celtic. I know that they, they played against each other many times before Lambert made the move to, to Germany. Um, Lambert was just the sort of beating heart of that Celtic team, I would say, um, from 98 on to maybe about 2002. And again, just someone who had it all. A playmaker, but could get forward, score goals, think of the goal in the 6-2 game, the goal in the, the Stuttgart home game to get us back into it. He always seemed to score against Motherwell um, as well, his old club. Yep. And a really gifted player. Um, good at keeping the ball, good at passing it on. Became a captain, as I said. Talked a gap through games. Um, one of my first memories of him was the Hamden season where he went to take that corner um, for Motherwell against us and he fell over the advertising board. Um but yeah, a great player for Scotland as well. Um, and someone who bossed Zidane um, out of a Champions League final. So you need that kind of wealth of experience in your team going to a World Cup. So I think those two were nailed on straight away. Yeah, I, Paul McStay, of, of course, you know, we've done uh, podcasts on Paul McStay. There's the um, profile podcast, a two-part podcast. You can go and listen to that. It's in your feed. Um McStay played the uh, Mexico eighty six, played at Italia ninety, played at Euro ninety two, um, and was part of the squad that got to Euro ninety six, but he got injured. So he would have played at Euro ninety six, but un- unfortunately due to injury, and that's a hell of a run for a. Well, I think about Scotland players now. That's a hell of a run. Um, I, I'm not going. There's no point in me talking about Paul McStay because you know we get wax lyrical. But yeah, I think um, Paul Lambert is again. You know, 273 games for Celtic, uh, 19 goals. When I think of captains, I think of Paul Lambert. Yeah. Uh, Paul Lambert is he's class personified. He is, without a question, um, cool as a cucumber. Uh, and it's really important. I always remember the Stuttgart game at home when Larson was unavailable. Lambert stepped up. Like, Lambert was like, okay, I'm going to make that. We lose, lost an early goal with Kevin Kiranyi and then... Um, Lambert just dragged that team into the next round. And uh, he, 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 again, probably the best captain I've seen at Celtic ever. For me personally, yeah. I know people will obviously say Scott Brown and stuff, and I, I completely understand that. But, you know, I think Lambert's the best captain. In terms of ability and what the kind of level he was playing at, do you mean? Just captaincy. Just being a just captain. Captaincy. Just, just, Aye. just talking on the pitch, talking players through things, making sure that players know their role and just being loud and, you know, I, I just love him for that. I mean, obviously, he's a lot of European experience as well. It's 
imperious. Was that, was that uh, I think I'm, I'm telling the story right, was it not that when we went to Anfield um, in the quarterfinals um, uh, on the way to Seville and I think obviously our midfield three were Lambert, Lennon and Petrov and I think the story goes that um, Lambert said to Petrov and Lennon, I'll take Gerard, just you worry about the other ones and I remember them saying they were blown away by that, just that sort of gallusness, but he would take him and, and take him he did because Another he final. went through. Yeah. yeah. And that was every, that was, I think Lambert's very different from players of that era because he was a real, I hate that phrase, but a student of the game. And even now, um, I know he's still kind of frequently over in Germany checking out methods and stuff like that. And yeah, someone who probably wasn't a Celtic man growing up, but more than more than became one with what he achieved. And I think he always talks well about the club now as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talk about, he's someone who always talks about standards, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's important. Um, and also, you mentioned it, and I think it's right to point out, when he came at Celtic, when he first joined, he was very attacking. He, he wasn't the defensive um, midfielder that we, he would become, but he, he, I think he scored a number of goals in his first season. I, I, do you know what? I'll check that. Well, um I think you'll get two, actually. I'm talking shit. Absolute belters. Aye, but two, two really important ones. And, I, you know, he was a lot more attacking than people maybe give him credit for when he first arrived. But then, as it came, he would drop back and back, which is similar to Paul McStay as well. You know, a very attacking, dropping back, dropping back. McStay throughout his career kind of chose and played in different kind of positions all through the midfield and took, took on different roles. So, I mean, those two, incredible. Absolutely incredible. See, just on that, just before we go to the next few, um, I always remember, I don't know if it was an open goal or something that Lambert did, but he said that, see, when we stopped the 10, he said that Paul McStay came down to the dressing room and he said not only were the players delighted that they'd stopped the 10, but they felt so special to share that moment with McStay. So it was almost like, I know that Lambert wasn't the captain then, but it was almost like a sort of passing of the... The torch. The, the, yeah, the torch, um and I thought that was nice that because Paul McStay must have been gutted because he played all his, all his days at Celtic and then the season that he gets injured was the, the time that we finally won the league again and it was nice that he had that moment to kind of celebrate with the players. He was offered a two-year deal and he knocked it back because he knew that he couldn't fulfil what people expected of Paul McStay and that is, that's yeah. class, that is class. That is. Um, yeah. Brilliant, uh, tell me your next two. Um, I thought I would go for a three for this, if that's okay, just okay. to kind of quick fire because I'm going for my sort of central midfielders and then there's the ones who could play further wide. So two fairly recent ones and then one um, just a wee bit later. So I've gone for our current captain, Kyle Mack. Lovely. Um, I think it's incredible that the player he's become um, because when he first broke in, he kind of, remember all those games he had all those kind of scuff shots? He was a sort of wide attacking player and every goal he scored seemed to be an absolute shiter but I suppose a goal is a goal <laughs> um, and then he kind of fell out of it for a while under Ronnie yep. and then I think he kind of announced himself back was a home game in the Europa League against uh, Ajax where he cut in and scored with his right foot bent it in and I think from that point it was very much he kind of grasped his opportunity Um Played a lot under Ronnie after that, but it wasn't really until um, Rodgers came in. And again, a lot of the times when we would play Rangers, he would be the sort of he would play pretty advanced on the left hand side, and I think that was to sort of nullify uh, Tavernier. 
and you think of that um, the semi-final goal where oh. Dembele lays it off and he passes it in. It's got that lovely noise as it hits the net. Love it. Um, and I think that's maybe forgotten about now how advanced he played um, under Rodgers. But gradually um, into Rodgers' second season, um, he kind of went deeper and deeper. And there was a period around, um, I think it was maybe sort of October, November um, of that season where Brown was injured and Cal Mack dropped in. And we were, we sort of had the the midfield three of um, Cal Mack, Rogic, and Christie, and it was in I think it was in that sort of two or three week period where his ability to sort of progress the ball quickly from a deeper position really caught the eye. And some of the football we played in that time was great. I think the Leipzig home game where we beat them, he yeah. played that midfield three played, and I think that sort of gave an indication of where his career might go and. Um, he was one in that season, see the, the, the season that we shall not name, the, the COVID season. I remember thinking he was thinking that game and uh, that season, and most of them were. Um, and I, I kind of felt sorry for him because he was always the one who was out doing the media, even though he wasn't the captain there. And some of the times he looked absolutely shell-shocked, he looked like a wee boy. Um, yeah. I think back to the, the 4-1 Sparta game. Um, and I thought that would be the end of him because I thought there would still be enough interest from Rodgers to take him to Leicester. And at that point, I, I think that season stank so badly that I, I, I probably wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Um. But then he's found a new lease of life under Ange. Um. Sort of coming of age. I think that night last season in February when he had the mask on and he came back from injury against Rangers, that was when he sort of. I know he had been captain, but I think that's when he stamped his arrival as a Celtic captain. Iconic. Um. Yeah. And. Uh, I think you guys mentioned it on a, a podcast this week where he was chasing Barisic around the pitch shouting shite bag, shite bag and um, such a good talker. He talks players through games and yeah, I love him. Um, brilliant player. So I think he would have to be in and going back to the captain before that, Scott Brown. Um, I think one of our most decorated captains, probably second after McNeil, I would say. Um, with the amount of trophies they won, reinvented himself like so many others of this squad. Um uh, I loved him. He was a player who I thought was a nuisance before he signed for us. He always seemed to score against us and wind us up. But I think that's just his character and what he achieved at Celtic. Um, again, another one who Rodgers was the real making of him. Um, some of his best performances came under him. and He was a player who was always written off, but he always seemed to have more to give. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think you could pick any sort of Celtic squad of contemporary time without having Bruni in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two players that we know lots and lots about. We know their absolute character, strength. Um, Scott Brown, again, former Scotland captain. You've got three former Scotland cap. Well, well, Calmack isn't the Scotland captain, but he has captained Scotland. <laughs> yeah, I damn right. Um, but McStay, Lambert, Brown, all Scotland captains. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of seeing a Celtic. Uh, player being the Scotland captain, so that's great. Uh, Scott Brown is Scott Brown again, someone that. We know all too well, and Cal Mack being the current captain. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you say about you know a new lease of life and like stepping up to the plate when it really really matters and reinventing himself. And I was like you, Barry. I was ready to flush them all down the toilet. Really, yeah. really was. But he has wiped. You know, he's wiped himself down, and he's he's really taken up the challenge. And I really respect that. And Scott Brown, Scott Brown. So. Yeah. Absolutely ideal. 
Next one. Uh, so the third one in that sort of um, trio is Stalin Petrov. Oh, um, beautiful. Again, someone who didn't have the easiest of starts um, coming in under the the sort of turbulent John Barnes season. Um, again, another one similar to Mialbe. He played against England um, not long, or long, not long before he signed for us, and he was the best player on the park. I think it was in Sofia, um, and I remember everyone thinking we need to get him. Seemed that everyone in Europe was chasing him, and then we had the double deal same, uh, lined up, didn't we? Petkoff was the other one, but that never happened. Martin, Martin, Petkoff or something. Um, and yeah, another one who O'Neill came in and put the sort of magic dust on, told him to lose a few stone, I think, I'm sure. He went over the summer, worked on that, and almost immediately in that O'Neill season, I think there was a game, it may have been the first home game of that season, where Petrov scored a header. Um against Gorham for Motherwell and he really kicked on um, and just those late bursts into the box um, uh, just brilliant at that um, a real knack of knowing when to score, scoring the big games um, goals against Rangers, he went through that period where he, every time someone touched the free kick to him he would smash it in the net one at Ibrooks, one at Dens Park, one in the Delhi um, Alpe and yeah, just a brilliant player, really good player for Bulgaria as well. And that's the game. It's funny how all these things are seem to be linked. Yeah. Um, I always remember on that, um, the, the Road to Seville um, DVD, he's sitting in the stand, must be during the, the summer after that, and he does it a broad Scottish accent. So he says, we go 1-0 down, and he goes, oh, no, what are we going to do? <laughs> and then he does that cross-come shot. Um, and, yeah. I think he wasn't out of place in any of those sort of big victories we had um, in Europe under O'Neill. Um, and then when he went to, again, another one who kind of left under a cloud, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's often forgotten, but maybe because of what he went through, and that's fair enough. Um, but he's he's happy to be front and centre. Um, media duties for Celtic now, but... Um, he had that sort of petty lip, didn't he, when we won the when we got the trophy? Um, because he, he was determined to leave, and yeah, um, we won't hold that against him. But yeah, a great goal scoring midfielder. Um, I think Sutton and Larson always speak so highly of him because after those two, he was always arriving late into the box. Again, I always remember he always seemed to score against Hearts at Tynecastle. Always belters, um, left foot, right foot. Obviously scored in the six two game. Um, he must have scored about five or six against Rangers as well, just off the top of my head. And yeah, I loved him. Great player. He scored 64 goals for Celtic. That's incredible, isn't that, it? That seems like a lot. Uh, 311 appearances. Um, ran beyond, he was the kind of real quality, first real quality kind of midfielder that I saw running beyond the strikers and knowing what they were doing it wasn't just you know doing it for the sake of doing it his positioning was excellent his anticipation was very very good um a real cog in a, a defined machine with Lennon and, and Lambert um yeah he did he did leave under quite of yeah I, I was really soured I think he, in his book he talked about how he was he only played at 40% in Scotland and stuff, and it's kind of like, uh, just don't say it. There's just no need to say it. But yeah. um, it's time here, you know, Euro, European uh, UEFA Cup final, Champions League goals, um, just the kind of 
prototype, and we've never really replaced him. Um, we've no. never we've never had a player like him. I think when you see a guy like that and you see him playing in his in his pomp, you backpack your head. It's like, why don't we just go and get another one of them, another one of him? You know, it doesn't. I still think like that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but see, don't work like that. <laughs> see how we've often um, we've often talked about sort of sliding doors moments or a potential for a pod like that, and it's probably probably not what would have happened. But I often think that see when O'Neill was leaving. Um, to look after his wife, and then we again. I know he's meant we just gave the job to Strachan. We, I think our stock was that high. We could have still gone after Gus Hiddink or whatever at that point, but that's by the by. Yeah. Um, and as new managers do, they take their time deliberating who he's going to give the the armband to, and Strachan chose Lennon. I often think what would have happened if we'd given the armband to to Petrov? Petrov? Would that have been enough to keep him to stay? Because I think it's harder when you're the captain of a club um, to just leave so who knows I know he was a captain in Bulgaria but I think if we'd maybe given it to Petrov maybe they stayed a bit longer who knows but yeah I often, I often wondered about that very very interesting point Barry really good point um, Petrov a diamond um, I remember when he first came in, he was played at fullback under John yeah, Barnes. Left back and right back, yeah. And all this, and yeah, he, he was. He, I think he had a miserable time when he when he arrived, but you know, it, he worked through it, and you know, he stayed on, and great stuff. Yes, as Petrov got it let loose, and it's there. I think there was a deflection. It went right through the defence, and Celtic have scored the first ever goal on Italian soil, and it puts them back in it halfway through the second half. Um, right, five down, forty go. Talk me through the rest. Right, so the the rest are sort of attacking player. Love it. Um, so it goes without saying the gift from God, um, Lubo Mravchik. Lubo Mravchik. Talk me through why Lubo Moravchik is in your squad. So again, it's kind of it's been done to death now, but the sort of scorn by the the, the Scottish media, Hugh Evans in particular, um, said we should have bought John Spencer instead. Um, and then I think instantly on his debut, so his debut was against Dundee. It was the day that Jock Brown announced that he was going to be stepping down, so that gave the crowd a boost. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And I'm pretty sure it was six one we beat Dundee. Um and Lubo was just unbelievable. Like um almost immediately. I remember he set one of Larson's goals where it was out on the left hand side and he crossed with his right foot um outside his foot, <sighs> straight on the Larson's head. And I think he might have got subbed that day. Um and he got a stand on ovation because he just lit up Celtic Park. And I think that might have been the week before, um or Certainly, very close to the five-one game where he announced himself um, on the, the sort of biggest stage for us. Sort of playing off of Larson that day, um, I kind of like, call that a sort of tactical masterstroke now because I don't think he played that position very often for Celtic when it was just off of one striker. No, but that first goal where um, it's a dummy by Donnelly, isn't it? And he sort of hits it across across his body into the far corner to beat Naomi. And then I don't think it's funny looking back, but he didn't know what he'd just done because there's bedlam all around and he's just like kind of hands up in the air. Like that's just what I do. And then a sort of uncast uncharacteristic header, although he did score a couple of headers for Celtic um in the second half and 
just brilliant. And again, his quality was there for all to see that season. Um, the next season after that, um, when he sort of played in that weird John Barnes four two 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 with him and Berkovic behind the strikers, um, the famous game where he, he kind of traps the ball with his arse um, against Hearts, and all his goals were just a highlight reel, like a, a dream. Um, then fast forward to Martin O'Neill, who again I don't think was too didn't really know what to do with him initially, um, but then his quality just shone through, and he he had to get into the team, um, and. I remember late on in that season we had a kind of sort of turgid we couldn't break Motherwell down um, right towards when we were almost being crowned champions and we got a free kick and Lubo stuck it in the, the top corner Gorham didn't even move because it was that good um, Gorham's reaction it, as well yeah, he punches the ball down doesn't he so like angry he the, yeah um, and he was just so good um, other highlights include the one of the best goals I've ever seen against Hibs at Easter Road when we had that beautiful white kit um, left-footed pile free, driver into the corner quick free kick yeah. yep yep aye miles out um, and then probably his finest moment you could well obviously the one at Ibrooks, um when we beat them 3-0 um, when he scored two but I think his performance against Juventus in the Champions League because I think I've said this before, but he pleaded almost with Martin O'Neill that week in the press to play him. We said, give me my opportunity on this stage. And there was a moment when he nutmegged Nedved, who that must have meant so much to him because of where they were both from. And he laid, I think he set up two of the goals that night, potentially three. And he was just the best player on the park for that game anyway, um, against Juventus' superstars. And he'd have been, what, 35 at that point? Yeah. Um, so... Just a brilliant footballer who I can't speak of highly enough. And I think Gal, you'd said recently you would maybe maybe have a wee pod on him because I think he, he would more than deserve it. Absolutely. Um, I think the 5-1 game, we'd signed Mark Viduka. But as soon as we'd signed Mark Viduka, he very quickly went fucked, back, well, <laughs> fucked off to Australia. So it was like Viduka came back in January. I think it was against Greenock Morton or something in the That's cup. Right. But... That's kind of why I think that's why he put he was playing in it. It wasn't he wasn't up front with Larson, but he was just off Larson, um, and uh, it was masterful. Lubomir Miravchik is one of the, probably the I'd say from a technical standpoint, he's the best technically gifted player I've ever seen at Celtic Park, and I include yeah. every opposition player I've seen. I've never seen a player use a football in the way that he does, um, or way he did. Hundred twenty nine games for Celtic, thirty five goals, the gift from God. Um, Played in a Europe, uh, played in the World Cup semi final and get sent off. Then, uh, famously, when uh, he was on international duty, he was handed the new Ronaldo boots as part of a Nike um, presentation. And on the on camera, he took the boots and went, "I don't wear anybody's boots." Threw them in the bin and said, "I wear Lubomir Maravchik's boots." And that's that's the man, the myth, the legend. Absolutely incredible. Okay. Who's next? Um, so while we're on attack and flair, I think probably the only player who's come close, um, I don't think he reached the heights. Um, well, maybe he did in sort of one-off games, but Shinsuke Nakamura, someone who's just recently announced the retirement. And I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of that sort of low centre of gravity, the way that they could um, deliver the ball, obviously free kicks as well, Naka, best free kick taker I've ever seen. Yep. And Someone who, it was always a name that you knew. I don't know if that was maybe because of champ manager or whatever. 
just someone you knew who was playing for um was it Regina, Regiana, Regiana? Regina, yeah. Regina. Um and again, someone who I think he's his debut against Dundee United was straight away you knew you had a, you had a player on your hands. Um and he was brilliant. Um goals, assists, free kicks on the highest level. Obviously the man Man United or both of them against Man United, but the, the winner um at home for so far out. It's one of those ones that if you see it on Twitter or whatever, you always stop and watch it because it's yep. an incredible distance. Um and I loved him. Um I think my only regret is that just the way maybe formations were at that time or the way that we used them, because we were very much a rigid four four two. He was used on the right hand side. Um I think if you imagine him in the, the sort of formation we play now, um Oof. as sort of Maybe not one of the eights, but an advanced eight, like a ten. I think it'd be incredible, and he was so good. Um, they go against Rangers, where he kind of hits across the ball from thirty-five yards or whatever, and it flies into the corner. A man for the big occasions, and and yeah, a massive superstar in Japan as well. So yeah, that I think we had to have him in there. Someone who played it major tournaments for Japan as well so I think his experience in this would be very good Absolutely um, Nakamura played 166 games for Celtic 34 goals um, wonderful talent just a wonderful wonderful talent expressive um, and, and I think that's the what you need in this team is like if you look at this midfield McStay, Lambert McGregor, Brown Petrov all really hard workers guys who you know bust, bust their arse really work really really hard Lubo and Nakamura, just give them the ball. Just let them express themselves. Just let them be um, be themselves. Nakamura, as you say, is probably the best free kick taker I've ever seen. He's probably one of the best free kick takers of all time. So you get that on his side as well. Um, yeah, everything about Nakamura I love. And um, I think I'm with you in regards to just when we had him. Strachan, we're, neither of us are fans, so there's no point going over all ground. But he very much put a round peg in a square hole, if you know what I mean. Like he pretty much, he can't play in central midfield because he's, he's, he's a bit too, he doesn't have the physicality for it. So we'll stick him out wide. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> fuck off, man, you dinosaur. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Nakamura, brilliant. Okay, cool. So that's two, that's three, that's three, four, five, six, seven. Two more to go. Two more. So from two really good free kick takers or two exceptional free kick takers to two more exceptional free kick takers so the first one I'll go for JC John Collins oh, I was going to say I was I was just waiting for JC yeah um, absolutely loved him um, I was actually just talking to, to one of my pals about him before there's a game I remember it must have been about November uh, or December 95 at Celtic Park um, and he scored a hat-trick against Harps and one of them's a penalty I, I a player who was exceptionally good at penalties, something that seems to have plagued us uh, in recent memories, even this week, when we missed two, uh, missed two in, a, in a week. Yep. John Collins was phenomenal at penalties. Of course, he scored in the, the World Cup opener that you mentioned against Brazil in the spot. But um, that Hearts game, he scores a penalty and then he scores two absolute screamers. Um, just a really class footballer. Um, there was a, the sort of debate, wasn't there, that him and McStay couldn't play in the same team. Um, but I think I think they were great. And the two of them carried Celtic through some really dark times. Um, I think that 
the story came out, wasn't it, that um, David Murray tried to sign him uh, for Rangers and they said, no, not a chance. More money? Uh, yeah, guy. And, yeah, just a really class footballer. Again, someone who, again, he maybe left under a bit of a cloud. I remember Tommy Burns leaving him out um, for a, a sort of period of time because the contract thing um sort of spiralled out of control a wee bit because of the Bosman they would go to Monaco. Um but again, I remember uh, uh, I think he played against Man United in the Champions League for Monaco and he, he was did, exceptional. Yeah. Best player on the park. Um almost a similar performance to how Lambert had done it for Dortmund. Um and yeah goals, free kicks, the the two free kicks in the two games back to back I'm sure at Ibrooks yep. or two seasons in a row anyway. First player to score with the Predators. Um I love that goal where the Celtic fans were banned from Ibrox and all you can really hear is him screaming. Um, it showed you how much it meant to him. Um, and just an exceptional footballer um, in terms of goals, assists, passing. He could get stuck in as well. Um, and someone who we've often said, Gal, I think he's he's kind of wasted that he's not in the game just now because he's, he's ahead of his time um, and a real sort of deep thinker about football. So, no, I love the guy. I adore him. He, he's what one of my top five Celtic players. Absolutely love him. Um, could wax lyrical about John Collins all day. Um, played uh, two hundred twenty-one games for Celtic, forty-seven goals, nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety-six. Went to Monaco, became the captain of Monaco. Um, scored in European Cup games, Champions League games. Um, famously scored uh, in the opening goal of the World Cup. Um, the the equaliser for Scotland took the nerve to take that penalty. The wee wink at that when the line Enjoyed that along. wink when he did that, yeah. <laughs> Just, John Collins again as a guy, like you say, I think he could play today and he wouldn't look out of place. I think yep. he was very far ahead of, ahead of his time. Um, I think, as you say, really real great football and brain. Um absolutely adored him i think he is just he could play central central midfield he could play uh, left side of a, of a of a midfield as well and um, was excellent internationally just on a different level for me in, in regards to the players who kind of there's a reason he left you know yeah. uh, you know and you know we, we can we talk about mcstay and mcstay probably should have left as well but collins took his chance when he when he had it and um first british player ever used the bosman so interesting Yep, and there's three reasons why he's on the plane to this World Cup, and it's passing, moving, tempo. Love it, and he's clearly yeah. what I love about Collins is like he is just a Celtic man through and through, and and, 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 and I love that. Definitely. So the final midfielder to make up um, the midfielders of this squad is Alan Thompson. Oh, so I've oh, gone for interesting. whether he'll make it into the the starting lineup, but it remains to be seen. But I think someone who had, had a sort of big pedigree, didn't he, in England? He'd got his big move to Aston Villa and it maybe didn't work out um, how he would have liked. But I always remember having a conversation with someone, I can't remember who, around about the time when he signed for Celtic. And it kind of simplified the game for me because he said, see if you can get, see with the, the attacking ability that we have with the likes of Larson Sutton, um, the guile of Lambert. Um, etc. If you can have someone who can deliver when you aren't playing particularly well, someone who can dig you out of the hole with a set piece or a corner or a shot from distance, it can mask games when you aren't playing well. And I think Alan Thompson did that. Um, the link up that he had with Henrik Larson, um, the amount of times he would knock that ball down the channel, the left channel, 
for Larson to run on to and then Larson could then um, kind of relay it back to him. He scored goals in the Champions League, scored against Barcelona in the UEFA Cup, multiple goals against Rangers, um, three sending offs at Ibrox. <laughs> so, bit of a hothead, um, but a brilliant player. Um, someone that has highlight real goals against Rangers would be a, a sort of joy to behold itself. And for what we paid for him, um, a, a, a tremendous cog in that Martin new team. And it sort of, it kind of fell off a cliff a wee bit as well um, yeah. towards the end. Um, I think he got a deal when he maybe didn't, maybe it was time to maybe move him on or give him a shorter deal. And Strachan didn't use him particularly well. And I think they did a massive falling out. Um, but that's Strachan for you. Um, Strachan fell out with all the Seville guys that were left pretty much. I think he didn't like big personalities, did he? No. Um, so, no, but I think Thompson... Um, in recent times is definitely up there with in terms of impact. Um biggest stage managed to earn an England cap while playing for us, although it was only one. Um but no, I think the amount of times that he used to do that thing, see if we were needing a late goal and he would take the ball and he would kiss the ball. And I remember there was one I think me Albi maybe got an end of against Hibs in the ninety second minute. Um just tremendous delivery. Um so he would he'd be in there for that. Whether he'll make it into the team or not I don't know, but he seems to have a bit of patter about him as well, so he might be a bit of a, a jester for the, the dressing room. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> very much like John Collins in regards, you know, left-hand side, um, great delivery from set pieces, great technique. Um, I, I think I, personally, I think I probably underestimate Alan Thompson. Yeah, I, prob- yeah. I probably do, and I think maybe a lot of people do. Hothead is 100% right, but Every time he gets sent off, I probably kind of raised my fist in joy, like <laughs> to salute him. Um, but yeah, Thompson, part of that Seville team, um, as I say, great technique, great ability to cross, and hard worker, very, very hard worker as well. You've got a real good balance here, Barry, of technique and ability and creativity, but also hard workers. And I think Thompson is the kind of antithesis of that. Um, let me talk you through your midfield. You get Paul McStay, you get Paul Lambert, you get Callum McGregor, you get Scott Brown, Stelian Petrov, Lubomir Maravchik, Shinsuke Nakamura, John Collins, and Alan Thompson. It'll be interesting to see who gets on the pitch out of that lot, I tell you. Robertson struggling there, in comes Presley. And a free kick against Goff. Well, Rangers really making life difficult for themselves. That was good experience play, only for, a, for an inexperienced youngster. Just sort of backing into Goff a little bit there, and Goff's got to climb over the top of it. And then now Celtic have got a free kick in a dangerous position. Well, after Rangers' positive start, Celtic have been coming more and more into this match. Well, I think they sense a vulnerability in this range of defence. Mistakes are being made, and one of them leading to this free kick. Referee wants the Rangers defensive ball to retreat just a bit more. Well, Celtic could really silence this huge crowd here. It's Collins. It's a magnificent goal by John Collins. 29 minutes gone here at Ibrox. Rangers nil, Celtic one. And really self-inflicted wounds by Rangers giving away the free kick. But what a mighty strike by Collins right into the top corner. Yeah, well, we're half expecting the dog check thunderbolt there. But Collins steps up and flights this beautifully into the top right-hand corner. And the goal greeted by 
deafening silence here at Ibrox. So we've got four strikers now. This. Let's just, shall we just get the first one out of the way? Yeah, we'll go for, for the king, God himself, um, Henrik Larsson. Um, I think if you're not including him, there's something wrong with you. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's funny because we often do pause like this where we exclude Larsson, don't we, because it goes without saying of how good he was. But again, someone who sort of burst onto the scene at that USA 94 kind of gone full circle with how we started the pod. Yes. Um, scoring goals. I remember he hit the crossbar from the halfway line. Um, and then, yeah, goes without saying how good he was for Celtic. Again, someone, there's very different phases of Larson, I think, um, because he came in, I think, 19 goals in his first season. And he was kind of the second striker, wasn't he, after Bratback came in. Um, and then the season after that, I think, is when he started to become the main man. Um he kind of went from a sort of floating striker to being an out-and-out striker. And that's not to say he still he would still kind of create assists and still drop back, but a wonderful footballer, um, world-class. I think we got the best years of him. Um, goals in Europe, goals at major tournaments for Sweden. Um, I think back to when he came back from the leg break and we were worried, was he going to be the same player? He scored a wonderful goal against Italy at Euro 2000 and that just really made every Celtic fan really excited that he was going to come back and if not be as good as he was, he was still going to be a very good level and we didn't know how good he would be going to be after that leg breaker. But I think that goal against Italy kind of skipped round Toldo, didn't he? He went one-on-one, rounded him and put the ball in the net. Um, and just a brilliant player. Champions League goals, goals against Rangers. Um goals in the in the final in Seville um, and just heartbroken for him um, when he was walking past, past the trophy because he was like a man possessed um, that night um, and as I said my favourite goal of his was that CIS Cup final where he ran from the halfway line the notable mention for the, the chip against Claus and yeah just a a superstar um, a sort of hero amongst men like he, it went beyond how good a footballer he was he was he was like, people would have pictures of him in a house like JFK and the Pope. He was that important to their lives. I imagine how young, younger kind of uh, Celtic fans hear us talking about them. It's like probably how my dad talks about Jimmy Johnson, you know, like yeah. that sort of myth. That like, Johnson or Doug Leach maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um 313 games, 242 goals, scored uh, f- in for Sweden in the third place playoff, famously, at USA That's 94. Um, just Henrik Larsson. Just Henrik Larsson. Um, three spaces yet, and a lot of strikers available. Yeah, this is this was definitely... We spoke about goalkeepers being the easiest. Strikers is definitely the hardest. Um, and I was sort of conscious of formations and stuff like that so I didn't want to choose too many because there might be a time you're only playing one up front and then you've got three unhappy strikers or at least three so I didn't want any more than that so I'll go for in my opinion Larson's best strike partner at Celtic was Chris Sutton Christopher Sutton Um, fantastic talk me through your thoughts on Chris Sutton Sutton was someone who first sort of came into my Knowledge as part of the Blackburn team, um, who won the league, the sort of fabled uh, infamous SAS with Alan Shearer. 
Um, never really liked that name for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and he's lost his way a wee bit. Um, I think in terms of the Blackburn, actually, after Shearer left, Sutton really came into his own and he won the Golden Boot um, ahead of Shearer, actually, when Shearer was at Newcastle. And then he got his big move to Chelsea and it never worked out. It seemed a very un-Chelsea signing, particularly when Vialli was a manager, when they'd brought in sort of sort of exotic flair players. Sutton didn't really seem like a good fit for them and that's the way it transpired. And Once we were linked with him, um, I think it was exciting, but it maybe wasn't as exciting as you would think because Viduka had had the season of his life before. And we were all obviously sad to be losing Viduka because we'd had a glimpse of how well Larson and Viduka linked up um, for that sort of short period at the start of the Barnes era where I think there was a game, I think it was the first time I'd seen two Celtic strikers score a hat-trick um, against Aberdeen. We beat them 7-0 and I'm almost certain that was the game before Larson broke his leg. Um, but they were just brilliant. So it was kind of tinged with a bit of sadness that Viduka was leaving. But from the first press conference when Sutton came in and said, I'm here to put Rangers in their place, talk about getting Celtic fans on board. Um, it was a household name. It was a big outlay because I think we basically took the money we made from Viduka and gave it straight to, to Chelsea. Chelsea. Um, and he hit the ground running, that winner at Tannadice, um, in a game that I think we probably wouldn't have won the season before, just the way that we didn't really have that metal. Yeah. Um, and it was a typical Chris Sutton goal, bundled in on the line um, and then just off to a flyer. And throughout that season, um, great performances, um, the link-up play. It's maybe something I hadn't seen or hadn't considered about Sutton, but he was a very good footballer. Um, that sort of layoff to Larson and then he would dummy it, Larson would be in and vice versa. I remember I go against him Fernland where it was... Beautiful, the, the interchanging between Larson and Sutton. So I think, again, in hindsight, John Hartson was someone who scored a lot of goals for Celtic, but I often think that it was sad that the partnership with Larson and Sutton was broken up. Um, and I know they would play games when Hartson was injured, but and the three of them would complement each other well, but I think Sutton and Larson were at their best when it was just the two of them as a pair. Yeah, I think I completely agree with that. And I also think that Chris Sutton is a guy that is probably the most intelligent footballer I've ever seen. I think he's probably, he's two steps ahead, um, used his body really well, played 199 games for Celtic, 86 goals. Um, yes, it's, again, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer um, having Sutton in this. And that's a big compliment considering the strikers we've had over the years. Um, Sutton and Larson, I think, up front, as a partnership, I think, were absolutely tremendous. I also think that Sutton did so much out with that. You remember he played centre-half, remember he played in, in, in central midfield. Just his intelligence, his, his in-game intelligence, I think, is is very unique. Um, and I remember him being linked and saying to my brother-in-law, Kevin, I remember just being like, we're linked with that loser Sutton. He's, he's only scored one goal all season. What a waste of money he's going to be. Beautiful. But yeah, Chris Sutton, Larson, tremendous. Two more to go. Now, those, the first two played together and the second two played together. So I mentioned them or alluded to them earlier for taking a penalty for Holland in that shootout against Brazil. And it's probably my first Celtic hero. Um, obviously, McStay was there, Collins was there, but it was someone who made me think, well, Celtic are finally 
into the big time. Um, and it was Pierre Van Hooydonk. Um Loved him as a player. Um, I remember being excited when he signed and he did that thing that they seemed to do in the 90s where it's a big baggy top, but they put it over their suit for some reason. <laughs> so they're sitting yeah. in the dressing room at Hamden. It's that kind of oversized suit, but with an even bigger Celtic top over it. And just his name, I remember, there was all the confusion on the news, how to pronounce his name. And I was lucky enough to be at his debut at uh, Hamden that night where he scored that screaming against Hearts. And it was a type of goal that I hadn't seen Celtic score before. And I know that sounds weird to say, but that sort of close control dribbling and then smashing it into the roof of the net, kind of top corner. And instant buy-in from the fans. And he, he was a real shining light um, towards the end of that season because Lord knows... Um, you know, Samani, Brian, that Hamden season was turgid. And he sort of was a shining light of what was to come because we were going back to Celtic Park, the new Celtic Park that summer. He was the first of the the sort of, he was maybe the marquee signing for the new Fergus McCann era. Um, and he, he did it against Rangers that season. And then he kind of wrote his name into Celtic history with the, the winner against Airdrie in the cup final to give us our first trophy. Um, in six years so no great player we did the pod me you and Alan um, the three amigos and obviously there's some unsavoury uh, aspects to his time at Celtic but a real modern footballer um, often overlooked at how good his footballing ability was in terms of passing and bringing players into the game but I think he, he was phenomenal um, he would go on to Maybe lose his way a wee bit with the move that he chose just to get down to England, but he'd be going to score in a European final for, for Feyenoord uh, to win them the UEFA Cup. Uh, and the Coip, the Coupe, however you say it, in their own stadium. Um, played at World Cup, Euros, and yeah, a phenomenal all-round footballer who had a fantastic goal-scoring record for Celtic. Yeah, I, 56 goals in 92 games. Uh, I was at his debut as well, um, and I always remember... A shiver coming down my spine being like I've never seen that before that's truly unbelievable um just a target man but so good with the ball at his feet so technically good great really really tall um how tall was he let's just see how tall he was he was uh six foot four inches so just smaller than baldy but you know just his ability and his ability in there can be marked down by the 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 goal the third goal and the three each draw at Ibrooks, where there's a cross from Tosh McKinley and he is up in the air before any stri- before any defender and he just nods it beautifully. Um, an international class striker, as you said, European class striker. Um, and again, just a, a guy maybe didn't leave on the best of terms, but as we're going through this list, a lot of them didn't. <laughs> Yeah, so, so what can you do? But Pierre Van Hooydonk is an excellent choice, Barry. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that one. Who is your final striker? So my final striker is one of the other amigos, and it's Jorge Cadete. Jorge Cadete, so. very. That I mean, that's to talk me through it. It's you know, it's incredible. Again, another one who similar to Viduka. Signed and then we didn't get to see him um, in a Celtic jersey for a prolonged period of time through no fault of his own. Um, that bastard, uh, James Farry, yep. <laughs> um, who held up his registration. Who knows, we might have stopped eight in a row at that point. Yeah. If we've got um, Cadetti. 
Um, someone who'd scored against Celtic and Scotland in the past. Um, and just an absolute goal machine. Um, I've often said he's the best finisher I've ever seen. Um, and people go, how can you say that when Henrik Larson? But in terms of just ability in front of goal, if you had a gun to my head and you said the ball was falling in a box three times um, for a Celtic striker, who are you putting your life on to stick the ball away? I'd go for Cadetti. Um Announced himself straight away, as I said, after a few months of not getting to play that Aberdeen game. The one that knocked five live off the radio with the, the kind of chip. Goal difference could be crucial. It's, it sets in their minds. Um, and again, similar to Van Hoydonk, he finished that season really strongly. Um, the season that he came in, um, there was another chip that season that kind of hit the post and in against Falkirk. And just a, a natural finisher. And it really sort of set the tone for the, the following season where he would go on to score multiple goals. Um, never took a penalty. I remember you saying that in the, the, the Three Amigos pod. And his goal record is phenomenal. So someone who probably at Celtic, it was the right time for both of us. Um, I don't think he ever really hit those heights anywhere he went after or even before. Um a phenomenal striker and chances can be at a premium in major competitions and as I say you want someone who can take them that's a big criticism of the current Celtic team that on the biggest stage when, champion, eh, when chances fall we aren't taking them and I think could eh, give him a chance and more often than not he would stick it away so that's why he's been included in the squad um, 38 goals in 49 games um, he was here for two seasons uh, the second season he scored 33 goals in 43 games just a goal machine uh, I always think that if anybody, kind of similar to that, if the ball was to bounce, if you were to have any player running through one on one with the goalkeeper, if you had to choose someone that would score, for me it would be George Cadet. Yeah. I, I just think when he was when he was one on one with the goalkeeper, it was a goal. Um, and again, just an international striker, someone who probably had his best period at Celtic, as you say. Larson Sutton, Pierre van Houdonk, and Jorge Cadet. It's an incredible. Forward four. And they've really given their fans plenty to cheer about tonight. Certainly in post-match analysis, you can look at that Aberdeen defence, but Celtic are really going about the job here. Goal difference could be crucial. Here's the new boy coming through. Oh, he's done it! Cadet has scored! Georgie Cadet scores for Celtic. It's five goals to nil here at Parkhead. 75 minutes gone. Georgie Cadet has only been in the field a few moments. Barry, I'm going to have to ask you now okay, to pick your team. What formation will you be playing, sir? So I think purely to get two strikers in there and I think maybe the strong, you could argue the strongest part of my team is the defence. Um, I'm going to go 3-5-2. 3-5-2, the Martin O'Neill yes. special. And you've already said that Boric will be your goalkeeper. So Boric is in goals. Who are your back three? So I'm going to have Reaper in the centre of um, defence. Love it. I'm going to have Virgil on the left of Reaper. Okay. And me, I'll be on the right. Me, I'll be on the right. Uh, excellent. Your midfield five, how are you laying them out for me? 
So this is probably the hardest decision. So I think I am going to I'm going to have KT as my left sort of wing back. Very good. I am going to have Agat as my right wing back. Agat. And this is where it gets really difficult. I'm going to have Lambert and McStay as my sort of sitters. Okay. And I'm going to have Lubo in my, my sort of number 10. Beautiful. And Lubo is your number 10. Up front, do I even have to ask? Well, I'm actually going to throw a curveball. Oh. I'm actually going to go for, and bear in mind that I'm hopefully going to be in the tournament for a long period of time, but I'm going to go for Larson and Van Hooydonk. Beautiful. So, your first choice to 11, Boric and goal, uh, Virgil van Dijk, Reaper and Mialbi. Virgil van Dijk's on the left, Mialbi's on the right of uh, uh, Reaper. Kieran Tierney's your left wing back, Didier Gatz your right wing back. You get Paul McStay and Paul Lambert as the sort of sitting two with Lubomir Maravchik as your uh, basically behind the front two of Larson and Pierre van Hoydonk. It's pretty incredible. You're going down to Rio. Uh, your tickets will be mailed out to you. The squad are meeting at Glasgow Airport uh, in a week's time. So you'll need to get your... Um, who would be... Let me ask you this. Your coaching staff. Assistant coach. manager, first team uh, coach, and a, a subsidiary coach. Talk me through it. So my assistant manager, um, I would, I would have to go... And God rest him, Tommy Burns, I think, because of he would really keep the morale going. Love um, it. He's like a right good Celtic man, and it's not sort of crass saying that because he is, when you think of Celtic, he's Mr. Celtic. Um, and I think that he would really keep the, the morale going and these stories of Celtic and me and him would probably be going to Mass before the games to, to pray for a, <laughs> pray for a, a victory. Um, and in terms of my other coach, I would have Neil. No, I'm looking. <laughs> um, we'll go for Ange. Ange could be a coach. Um, he's managed obviously at the World Cup before, so and recency bias. So recency bias. So I'll go for Burns and what's the called? Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, Barry, what an absolute joy! What an absolute pleasure! Um, great memories and just uh, a great team that you've chosen. Any final thoughts? Um, no, I just really enjoyed um, putting this squad together. Um, I think it's a, a great concept and it's, it's something to really sort of look back on fondly. Um, I love to start when we're talking about World Cup memories and I know that the World Cup coming up maybe is not the um, the best sort of World Cup it's going to be in terms of a whole number of things that we won't get into. Yeah. But just some trips down memory lanes and uh, memory lane, and I think wonderful players, and it was great to sort of have that sort of field of dreams if you put them all together. Um, what could they do on the biggest stage? So no, thanks for having me, again. Absolutely fantastic, Barry Gallagher. Pre- pleasure. I'm Chris Gallagher. This has been World Cup Celtic. <laughs>